Welcome to the Influential Personal Brand Podcast. This is the place where you'll learn cutting-edge personal brand strategies from today's most recognizable influencers. We're going to teach you how to build a rock-solid reputation and then how to turn that reputation into revenue. I'm your lead host, Rory Vaden, co-founder of Brand Builders Group, Hall of Fame speaker, and New York Times bestselling author of Take the Stairs. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode on the Influential Personal Brand. Today is super, super special because I get to interview one of my very closest, dearest, best friends, Denise Dorsey, Denise Via. I, I know Rory's like, it's Via, not Dorsey. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Jason Dorsey and Denise are two of mine and Rory's closest, most dearest friends. Fate brought us together at a very unexpected True Value event almost 10 years ago now, which yeah. is impossible. They are just some of our most amazing friends. They're also some of the smartest human beings on the planet. And truly, Denise is the smarter of the two, Jason. happens <laughs> to be more public-facing. <laughs> but let me tell you just a little bit about Denise. And I'm not going to read her professional bio. I'm going to give you my personal bio on Denise. And I'm just going to tell you guys why you need to listen. If you are listening to this and you're trying to decide if you should make the leap from what you're doing to what you feel like God called you to do, you should listen to this episode. If you are a working mom, if you are trying to balance entrepreneurship, being a CEO, being an executive, being a leader, just being in the friggin' workforce while also trying to balance being a mom and manage your family, you should listen to this. If you're trying to juggle multiple jobs all at once, Denise is the CEO of the Center for Generational Kinetics. She is still sitting as COO at a very amazing a biomed company. She also runs a real estate development and investment group. Urban Gravity is one of the fastest growing real estate developers in Austin, Texas. She is also an author of the economy. It's like the list goes on and on. So it's like, I often go, do you sleep? She's also a marathon runner. It's like, I'm pretty sure I'm like way below standards when it comes to Denise and all of her accomplishments. But it's like, you should listen. I'm going, man, what are the peaks and valleys of managing all the things? Because um, although they're rewarding, they're hard. Like, let's get real. They're really hard. Also, if you work with your spouse, or you're considering working with your spouse, you should listen to this episode. If you want to write a book or you want to go out and speak or think about this, not only working with your spouse, do you also want to write a book with your spouse? <laughs> like These are all the things that are Denise via Dorsey that you should stick around and listen to. And that is just really scratching, really, truly, like barely scratching the surface of all things Denise. And I would say most importantly of all, I'm so excited for this interview. One, she didn't want to do it. She was super reluctant because she's super humble and doesn't often put herself in the spotlight. And so I'm genuinely excited to help the entire world get to know your brilliance. And you're so steady, like you're so consistent and calm. And sometimes I sit at the dinner table with you and Jason and Rory and Jason is so animated and you know, him and Rory are over there scheming their ideas. And I'm like, 
y'all are like honest people. I like, what are you talking about? And you're <laughs> so patient and calm and supportive. And I'm like, dear God, give me some of that. <laughs> like, I love that so much about you. I really admire you in so many ways. So thank you for being on our podcast today. Oh, AJ, you're so sweet. I think the podcast is over. I'm going to take all these beautiful things you just said and I'm done. <laughs> uh, they're you're all so true. And I'm excited to be here with you. And thank you for having me, really. Oh, I'm just so excited. Honestly, I'm too. I'm, I'm so excited to get to hear the parts of you and your message and these interesting parts of your life and your career that don't get to come up in normal conversations where when we're with our kids or with our husbands or we don't have extended amounts of time together for you guys listening. I live in Nashville, Tennessee, as you may know, but Denise lives in Austin. So our times are like far and few between. And so when it, there's so much to catch up on, like so many of these questions, I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't know the answers to these. I'm so excited <laughs> uh, to see what you're going to say, but okay. So we're going to start here of helping our audience get to know a little bit about you. And I think a part of your backstory is really unique and really important to people who listen to our podcast, because as I mentioned this to you, it's like much of our audience are trying to make the decision of, do I stay where I am or do I go and do something different? Right. And there's nothing wrong with where I am, but at the end of the day, I just feel like something's missing. Right. Like a part of me that's like, could I really do it? Or is there something bigger for me? It's like, is this what God really intended for my life? And, and I think you're one of those unique people in our life that it's like, you made a really dramatic shift in your professional life because you were already so successful as a teacher and then a principal and in the world of education and academia. And that's like, that's a no joke job, a super underappreciated, underpaid job, by the way. But you made a major decision of going, I'm going to leave like what I went to school for, what I thought I was going to do my whole life, what you've been doing, what you've been very successful at doing to go out and go, I'm going to like, I'm going to jump this ship and I'm going to join the crazy people in the world of entrepreneurship. And what I would love for the audience to hear is like, what's a little bit of your backstory of like, where were you? What made you want to make that kind of jump? And ultimately, why did you do it? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And I've pondered that a lot. I wish I had like a, a straight answer and it was exactly at this point. But I think a lot of things happened. And when I reflect back on it, I wouldn't have traded any of the experiences for it, but it was kind of the catalyst to move forward. So at the time, I was a principal at a high school in Texas, uh, 2,200 students, so very big, 200 over 200 faculty, and things were going, you know, full on crazy times, like just, you know, the amount of hours you put in, they need you, all those kids need you, you know, and it was my job to do that for everybody, and I loved it, it was fulfilling, it was really a great place to be. I was also doing my PhD at night. So I was finishing my dissertation. I'd also just finished and completed a year of of an internship for superintendency. So that was kind of my pathway. And I was on this pathway. I knew where I was going. And my husband, who's been an entrepreneur since he was 18, uh, never known anything else, and was also traveling at that time, probably 220 days out of the year. And you know, I just took a moment and we both did. And we'd had some 
really big life changes happened within that year as well. One of my best friends was diagnosed with stage four cancer. And one of my other best friends was gave birth and ended up being in the hospital with a hole in her heart. And they weren't sure she was going to make it. And there was just a lot of things going on, quite honestly. And my husband said, you know, why don't you take a moment? Let's just take a moment and breathe, finish your dissertation, take a sabbatical and, and go back to education. And I said, no, (laughs) I couldn't imagine doing it. In fact, you know, if anybody's making a big leap, I'm sure you go through lots of ways to try to figure it out. I was sick. I was sick to my stomach almost every night for about a month. And I finally got there to say, you know, God help me to think through this. Is this where I need to be? And I just felt like it was. And so I did. And about two months later, this opportunity just kind of opens up and being an entrepreneur of nothing that was done on purpose. It wasn't like, a, you know, I had, didn't have a plan in place. It just was. And basically once that opportunity happened, I just jumped both feet in and did it. And I love education. I love the kids. I love the parents, schools, everything about it. But now that I've been an entrepreneur now for 15 years, I think going on, no, actually going on 17, there's no other better place in the world for me. I just enjoy it so much and I still help people. I just help in a different way. And I think that's why I enjoy it so much. I love that. And you know, it's interesting, like this is like the third conversation I've had in a really short time period where I have talked to someone who had some sort of life event that occurred in one of these pivotal decisions that they've made. You know, I've had those and I was just talking to someone earlier today about that she left a very high paying corporate software job of, you know, what happened is her mom was diagnosed with cancer and she goes, man, is this how I want to spend my days? Is this what I want to be doing? And like to hear you about a friend and then the daughter of another friend. And I know that these life events cause us to wake up, right? Like that's so evident, so many, right? So many of us, what I'm curious is just to hear your genuine opinion and your perspective of why does it take that sort of thing to actually cause us to do what we want? Like, what is it about us as humans, right? That's like, I'll stay on this path, even though I know there might be something more for me until we realize life is short and it's a lot shorter than I used to think yesterday because today I have news I didn't have yesterday. I'm just, I'm so curious. Like, what is it that? I can't speak for everyone, but I think for me, I'm very goal oriented. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I'm so goal oriented and my husband does this too. People think we're crazy about this point, but in my bathroom, I have a glass board, not a whiteboard, a glass board, and it has all of our goals for the year so that we can see them every morning when we're taking a shower, when I'm taking a shower, they're just like right in front of me. There's no reason not to pass them up. So I think for me, it's very goal oriented. I set these goals. I want to be a principal by this age. I want to be a superintendent by this age. I want to do X by this age. And then life just continues happening. And and then all of a sudden, you're given a moment of pause because of some life extraordinary event that just, for me, you know, just put everything else aside 
and and gives you pause and thought and how and what do I want to do? I mean, I spent the last days of my friend's life with her and I could not have done that as a teacher or as a principal. It just wouldn't have allowed me to. So um, I wouldn't change that transition for anything. I mean, it was meant to be, but I do think that you people just go on this journey and it's just so fast and furious, you know, that we don't take the time to, to stop for a second. And then we get the time and we think, is this where we're supposed to be? I mean, much like COVID, yeah. COVID paused the world. And then so many people that came out of that were attorneys and now they're screenwriters and moved to Costa Rica or, you know, people that were screenwriters are like, I don't want to be this anymore. I want to do this. I mean, and I just think that, we don't have enough pauses in our life. Oh, I love that. I've, I've shared this quote a few times now, but I was reading an article that just like flashed across my screen one day and it was from Ariana Huffington. And she said, people have been calling this the great resignation, but I don't think that's what it is. I don't think we have a great resignation. I think what we are experiencing is the great reevaluation yeah. of what do we want to do and how do we want to do it? And what's fulfillment and what's worth it. And is, is money really the answer to all the things? And many of us discovered, no, it's not. Yeah, exactly. No, not. And I think that's a huge part of it. It's like these life events cause us to reevaluate what we thought was important. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, no, exactly. And I think that, you know, it's that pause. And then also, you know, how quickly is the next pause too? Like, you know, cause Like I said, I'm goal oriented. So then I started creating all these next goals and then you start moving and moving and then you have another pause and you think this is where I'm supposed to be. So I think for society as a whole, we're all trained to just go Mm -hmm. and move fast. I mean, I mean, this respect the hustles right behind me. I mean, I do respect the hustle at the same time. We have to give some time to think. I'll share something kind of vulnerable for myself too, is I just turned 50 last week, May 8th. And I was thinking about the last six months coming up to my 50th was just really a big reflection for me again of where do I want to be with my life? For the first time, life didn't seem as long as it did when I was 48. And, you know, you only have so many years left. I want to make sure that I'm spending them for me, the right way. So I think that's been another life event for me is coming into this age. And I, by the way, I love being 50. I think it's great. 50 is a new 30. I it, it, is a, it is a new 30. Age is just a number. But it gave me pause just thinking about where I want to go. Yeah, I just, and I totally feel that. And it's like, you know, my husband, Rory is turning 40 in just a few weeks. And I got a full, like what, 22 more months before. <laughs> And so I, it's one of those interesting things where it's like, even that of like these milestones of like, wow, it's like to what you said, it's like somehow, you know, in in the switch of 24 hours, it's like, life just feels a little different. And it's like, am I spending it the right way? Am I doing it the right? And I have asked this to Rory several times over the last few weeks. And I'm like, why don't we ask ourselves when we're 25 or 30 or 35, like, what is it about life that causes us to actually find 
what we want to do at later ages. And I'm curious to you because it's like, not only are you a CEO and you're an entrepreneur and you're an investor and you're all these awesome things, you've also had the privilege of being EO president. So for those of you who don't know, EO is the entrepreneurs organization, but you were EO president for EO Austin through the pandemic. Yes. <laughs> so you also, you have an enormous entrepreneurial community. And one of the things that I think would be really interesting for our audience, because it's like what I tell people all the time, it's like a personal brand should be treated like a business because it is one, right? It's your reputation. It's what people think of when they think of you. And regardless of what that looks like, whether you are an executive or an employee or a salesperson, or you go out on your own as a solo entrepreneur, or you build a company, it doesn't matter anywhere in between. There are components of entrepreneurship that are present in everything that we do. And so what I would love to hear from you for our audience is, what do you think are the necessary skills? And those could be mental, emotional, or tactical skills that it requires for someone to make it as an entrepreneur. Oh, that's a great question. So patience, I think is one. I have a lot of patience. Some entrepreneurs would disagree. They would say patience is not a great one. And I would disagree with them back. There is so much patience needed in becoming an entrepreneur. It's not overnight successes. All the overnight successes, majority of them were never overnight. If you think 10 years is overnight, that's overnight success. Nobody ever talks about the 10 years before the overnight success. And so I think patience is one. Tenacity. Tenacity is huge. You're going to get shot down. You're going to get said, be said no. You're going to say, they're going to say that this is the worst they've ever seen, whatever. But if you truly believe in what you're doing, then well, you'll keep going. Mm-hmm. You definitely just keep going. So tenacity would be another one. I think also being a listener, mm-hmm. not just a communicator, not just being able to speak eloquently and, and cheer on the crowd. But to also be a good listener, hear what people are saying, take that in, take the feedback, make the adjustments, go back out there. I think those three are probably my top ones that I feel that are necessary to be a great entrepreneur. Um, mm. Other, At least for me. Oh, I love that. And I think, you know, the patience one, I didn't expect you to say that, but that is so true. Like when I said earlier, it's like, you're so steady. It's like patient would have been the other word. It's like, you're so patient. Like you are. <laughs> I think that's a really great reminder to everyone who's listening today is, yeah, there is no such thing as an overnight success. Like that does not exist. You see the success overnight, but there is no overnight success, right? It's like, Correct. just because you just learned about somebody doesn't mean they hadn't been hustling for years exactly. to get to that point. I love it when people say, oh man, they just came out of nowhere. And I'm like, really? They really come out of nowhere? But it's like, you know, our awareness of someone is what makes us think like, oh man, they just blew up. And it's like, no, they didn't blow up, right? They've been building that engine for a really long time. And then they just turned it on, right? And that's a great reminder to all of us of, man, it's not going to happen overnight. You know, nothing ever does and nothing that is worth really having at the end of it is ever just so quick. It's not like a light switch. And I also think the the three that I mentioned are great, especially if you have a partner that has the opposite of the three. (laughs) 
<laughs> so my husband does not, he's my business partner, does not have patience. So, you know, that helps us balance out because he will be like, get going, let's go. I need this right now. And I'm, and I'm so patient. I'll be like, ah, you know, okay, give me, let's just be patient about it. So it really like, you know, it helps me. It helps him. I cool him down. He gets me going a little bit more. So I think it's also helpful when you have the right person next to you. Oh, that's such a great transition too. It's like uh, Jason and I share more of those personality traits and you and yes, you do. <laughs> <laughs> we often find ourselves like, man, we think so much alike. Uh, but I think that's a really great transition into partnerships, right? And, you know, whether it's with your spouse or not, there's, you know, ups and downs, highs and lows, peaks and valleys of working with someone else in a partnership, but especially with your spouse. So I've got two questions for you. One, what advice would you give to anyone who is in a business partnership of how do you make this the most effective, efficient, successful relationship possible? And I think it's also really important. It's like, I know way more partnerships that have ended that also ended relationships, friendships, separated families, right? It's like a divorce um, so many ways. And it's like, just like a marriage takes a lot of work. So does any friendship or partnership. And so I have one, I'd love to know, it's like, what have you seen both personally and just in the entrepreneurial community of what makes a successful partnership? And then the second thing is I want to talk about, and then how do you work with your spouse? (laughs) uh, You and I both sit in the boat and I share this with you often. It's like, there are so few people that are at my life stage, married to their business partner, where we're the sitting as the CEO of the company, we have young children, like it is a rare situation in most events. And it's got amazing, beautiful components, and really friggin' hard ones. And I know a lot of people who get started, like they get started with their spouse, because that's who we can afford. Right? Right. <laughs> that's all we can afford. So, okay. So first let's talk about partnerships. And then I want to talk about what advice would you give to people who are working together, both as partners and then as married partners? Okay. No, that's great. I think for me, number one is trust. You have to trust your partner, your business partner infinitely. If you do not, or have reservations or even have like a little inkling that their trust isn't there. It's just not going to work. I can't imagine going through every single day of what people do in a business and not completely 100% trust your partner that you're working with. So that would be number one. Uh, Number two for me is figure out what you're good at, figure out what your partner is good at, and then stay out of each other's way. Mm -hmm. We learned that the hard way working together. And I think the first year Jason stepped over on my toes. I stepped on his. And it wasn't until we figured out our lanes and we stayed in them that we were able to grow and we were able to be successful in our partnership. And and even now, I mean, we've been doing this together, you know, almost 15 years. And every once in a while, we cross lanes and we're like, "Uh uh-oh, nope, 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 nope. Let's get back in our lane. And I think that is very helpful for us and for other partners. I think lastly, this has to really do if you're married to them, maybe not if you weren't married to them, but we really came up with rules around our household as well. 
Now, I will not say that I follow every single rule to a T, um, but I try. And the last thing we wanted in our relationship was our relationship to be all about work. Mm-hmm. It's so easy to all of a sudden, all the conversations you're having are about work or about your kids. And we just didn't want that. So we set boundaries on times a day that we can talk about our business on the weekends. You know, there is no discussing on Saturdays and on Sundays, you can only get me until noon. Because if you're my husband, he wakes up at 6 a.m., he wakes me up at 6.30, and the first thing out of his out of his mouth is, hey, did you get this transaction done? Or, hey, did you close this deal? <laughs> and I've not even opened up my eyes for like two minutes. And I'm like, can I brush my teeth first? So we really laid out boundaries around that. That was very helpful. And then, you know, finding people like you and Rory. I mean, you guys are amazing. But finding other like people that you can have the conversations with and talk to people, it's a rarity of what you and I do with our husbands. And to have that back and forth with somebody to share it with is phenomenal. And that's very helpful. Yeah, I think, you know, you said two things in there that, I just want to like pull out because I think these are so significant is uh, one of them is around the trust factor. It's like, you've got to give your partner and you could say your partner is anywhere from a vendor to a contractor to an employee. It's like, I think this transcends just a business partnership, but you've got to trust and give them the benefit of the doubt, even when you're not sure. And so my question to you in this is how do you build trust in business? Oh, that's a good one. I'm all in or I'm all out. That's my, so I, in business, if I've decided that you're my partner, whatever that is, my salesperson, you're a partner in our business, you're a vendor, anybody, anybody that we've touched, I'm a hundred percent in. You're on our team. I completely 100% trust. However, if that trust is broken, it is really hard for me to repair it. And that's just me, myself. I'm a hundred percent in, give you everything. But if you break it, I'm out. And I tell people that up front. I'm very open and honest with that with anybody that I work with. Like you have everything, but you destroy it and I walk away. Not worth my time, nor can I, do I want to work on it to get it back? I just don't. So I'm just writing this down because that's like, I think, so what I hear you saying and what I'm writing down is that it's like, you have to make a choice to be all in. Yeah. Right. It's not like, oh, it just happens. Right. It's like, no, I'm choosing to be all in and I'm choosing that you're my partner. I'm choosing to trust you. Exactly. Exactly. No reservations, because if there's any reservations, then there's no reason for us to even be partners in anything. So I guess one of the things that I'm hearing too, because this has actually been a really recent conversation in our household and our business is Rory's always telling me, babe, you've got to give me the benefit of the doubt. Hi, it's AJ Vaden, and thanks for listening to the Influential Personal Brand Podcast. Did you know that the ideas we share on the show are things we actually specialize in helping you implement? If you want to raise your public profile and turn your reputation into revenue, please visit freecall.brandbuildersgroup.com to sign up for a free brand strategy call with one of our personal brand strategists. Again, that's freecall.brandbuildersgroup.com to sign up for your free call. Talk to you soon.
want to, but he goes, there are no buts, whether you do or you don't. Uh And one of the things that I have to remind myself of is that is a choice, right? I'm choosing to go, whatever it is that you're doing, this is for the good of our family and our business. And that's a chosen perspective shift. And that's a bit of what I'm hearing in you too, of going, no, it's like, I'm all in or I'm all out. And it's kind of like what they say in the courts, like you're innocent until proven guilty. It's like, I'm going to trust you <laughs> until you, until you show me there's a reason not to trust you. Right. Exactly. And, and for so- people listening, I'm a lot like Rory. So it doesn't, <laughs> we share a lot of the same characteristics. So I'm not surprised. I, I would not say um, patience is one of the greatest <laughs> virtues. Um, I have other gifts, but it's like, but it is, I think that's like so important. It's like in any relationship you've got to make the choice to see the benefit of that. I have to make the choice to trust you uh, because if not, then everything is filled with doubt. And then you're going behind, I wouldn't say their backs, but you're going behind and trying to double check the work. Did this get done? Did that get done? Did, you know, everything, you know, and it's just, people make mistakes. Everybody makes mistakes. We're all human. And there's a difference between like, oh, I messed up. That's a mistake. And there's a difference between a total mistrust of something that you did. To me, those are very different. Okay. I'm forgiving when it's an error. I'm not forgiving when you deliberately, you know, you need to not trust me. Yeah. Same thing with like your kids, right? It's like, yeah. So much of leadership of business is uh, parallel to parenting. Being a parent has been the best leadership training on the planet. <laughs> like, if you, like, it's like trying to get these two little humans to do something that I want them to do, and there's no incentive, there's no money, there's no like, you know, like it's like, oh man, okay, I've got to really get my negotiation skills to work with these two humans. But I think that's like so true. It's like, but it's all in a choice of like, I'm choosing to say, you know, Jasper, I know that you wouldn't intentionally do such a thing, but that's a choice because the other half of me is going, you little rat. I know, <laughs> you know, and it's like, that's such a choice. And it happens in business all the time, right? It's sure. so easy to fill our mind with, well, I mean, they're just doing this because, you know, it's easier for them or I'm the one stuck doing all the really hard work. They're out there getting to do what they love and what they're passionate about. And then I get stuck with everything they don't want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. That's really good. The second thing I want to highlight is you talked about these rules. So <laughs> can you give us an example of like, what's a rule that you guys have in your house to protect, you know, your personal relationship so the business doesn't take over? Sure. So one big rule is, like I said earlier, about talking about business. So no talking about business on Saturdays and Sundays we can uh, start after 12. And so I will say, you know, Jason could talk about business 24-7. So, you know, sometimes at 1140, he'll be like on a Sunday, hey, I have 10 more minutes and then we can start talking (laughs) about this. That's one thing. Another thing is date nights. You know, date nights we go out. We make uh, specific rules that we are not talking about business at all during the state. Uh, and it's so easy for it to come up. Mm-hmm. I mean, you think about just even a typical work day and you're out with your spouse, you know, how was your day? Well, I did this at work. I did that work. So to take that completely out of the equation, I mean, it is, it is a little tough, but, you know, I, and so does Jason, we're both on the same page about this. We just refuse to let it dictate our life to each other. 
because there's more after this and we know that and we want to continue that journey together forever. And so how do we create kind of this foundational work, even though we've been married 16 years, to continue that so that we have those places to grow later? You don't talk about Raya, your daughter. And if you don't talk about work, what are you guys talking about? Well, we talk about things we want to do, where we want to go, you know, places that maybe we want to live. We talk about, you know, our families, our parents. My husband travels quite a bit still now. And so there's a lot of things in a week that transpire that I never get to even tell him about. Mm-hmm. You know, I told him today, hey, I'm doing a podcast with AJ. <laughs> He's like, you're what? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, there's just like a lot of things that you have that you never get to share. And so we talk about things like that. And then we talk about I'm part of an entrepreneur organization here in town. I have a lot of entrepreneur friends and things that are going on in their worlds. And I want to hear about his friends. And so that's the timing that we use to celebrate those kind of experiences. Yeah, I ask because of genuine curiosity for my own marriage, but also because I think that's really good for all of us to go, you know, this is like one of the big mantras that's in my life right now is that. I want people to care much more about who I am than what I do. I don't want to be defined by my work because that's how I defined my own worth for a really long time. And I'm in recovery from finding all of my worth in my work. And what I have found is like in all general natural situations, it doesn't matter if it's with my husband or at a networking meeting or at my EO group or with a group of friends, like somehow it always transitions to, well, tell me more about what you do. And I'm like, it's so hard to like pull out of that world and go, no, I actually just want to talk about, I don't know. The best book you just read. And it's like, but it's like, it's amazing. And I don't know if it's this way all around the world, but I know that it's like this in the United States. It's hi, here's my name. And the next question is, so what do you do? And it's, it's ingrained in this component of our lives. It folds over into work is the majority of what our life is about. And so I was so genuinely curious of not just for our own spouses, but for each of us out there of like, the thing that I love about personal branding and reputation is that it's at the heart of who you are and who you are has nothing to do with what you do. It's a piece of you. It is not who you are. And finding things to talk about that allow people to get to know more of who you are, I think is a kind of a novel idea, believe it or well, not. I also think that people have to be open to the discussion, right? I mean, in the United States, I'll say this just in the United States, you and I both travel a lot outside of the United States, but here, so many of the conversations when you meet someone are so superficial yeah. and they don't go deep. And what I have found, you know, as being part of the EO community for the last 10 years, I mean, they really trained on like specific questions and to get deep and come vulnerable. And if you're not going to be that person, then we don't need you in our community. Mm -hmm. And I've taken that kind of thinking onto people I just meet anywhere. And it's very uncomfortable, I will say, because I get deep really fast. But if if you're not going to have a meaningful conversation with me, well, you know, there's a hundred emails I could probably answer. And I really want to spend the time with you and get to know you and learn how did you become you? And I'd rather have that conversation than answer the hundred emails for sure. Oh man, I'm going to write this down. 
How did you become you? Not what do you do, but how did you become you? I'm always writing down, what are good questions that I can ask (laughs) that are not? So what do you do? Or tell me about your work or like, that's a really good one. So do you ask that to people? I do. I do. I do ask that. The first glance, you know, especially if they're outside kind of the entrepreneur world, not heard about these things, they look at me going, excuse me, Uh, what? And, and so then it's really probing, like, how did you become you? Where did you grow up? I love this question. You have like, you know, just kind of going down the journey. And then you see the person getting more comfortable because at the end of the day, people like talking about themselves. They really do. It's just, we've been trained to really, for a lot of people, we only speak about this and we don't speak more about this and we do this. And you've learned kind of these uh, ways to put yourself out there. Um, so that you're you're captivated in the best light. And so when you kind of go in a different route, people are just more willing to have conversations. And then you're able to share about you and your story and your authentic self of who you are. Oh, I love that so much. Anything that helps me create stories around tell me who you are, not about what you do is like a big thing in my life right now. I was at a charity event thing and I was standing outside, standing in line to get a glass of wine. And this uh, young lady walks up to me. She just introduced herself. We were just like chit-chatting. And she just says, well, what's your name? How do you know the host? And she goes, how do you fill the hours of your week? And I was like, I'm sorry, what? (laughs) (laughs) How do you fill the hours of your week? That's a great question. I'm going to write that down. (laughs) I literally paused. I stopped in my tracks and I said, you mean like, what do I do for work? And this was like six months ago or something. This is like kind of like triggered my own default to asking these silly questions. And she's like, well, I mean, that could be a part of it, but you know, just how do you feel the hours of your day? And I was I like, okay, well, in the mornings, <laughs> I started <laughs> telling her, I was like, well, in the mornings I have two toddlers. And so I'm going to start like regurgitating my schedule. And she was like, that's so fascinating. <laughs> it was like one of those things I'm like, well, I'll do it spend the hours of my day. But it was like such a nice pivot of, and then I said, are you intentionally trying not to ask like what people do for work? And she goes, yeah, it's a really intentional effort of mine. And I said, I'm totally stealing this. And I'm going to, <laughs> and I was like, and thank you so much for caring more about me and just how I fill my hours than the stuff that I have on my business card. And she was like, you're welcome. And she just oh, walks away. Lovely. I love and that. It, it's very similar. It's like, so tell me about how you became you, right? I love that. And so I'm going to flip that on you. So Denise, how did you become you? Oh, I should have never given it away. You know, I think our life is full with, we talked about it, ups and downs, right? Valleys. Um, I'd say I became me starting with a very strong minded, beautiful, kind mom. I was very fortunate to have her in my life and to, and to have her in my life. So my dad died when I was five and uh, my mom raised me as a single mom for way till I was about 14 when she remarried. Luckily for me, though, I have 52 first cousins and 32 aunts and uncles. So I always had family around. And I think, you know, they helped me become who I was. Um, All those cousins all lived in the same city. So we were always at somebody's house. I was always playing sports. I was mostly boy cousins. For some reason, we didn't. (laughs) There wasn't a lot of girl cousins. It should have been 50-50, but it wasn't. 
And then, you know, you continue on your life. And for me, probably the biggest thing in my life was moving to Austin and going to undergrad. And hopefully my mom will never hear this podcast because I think it was probably one of the only lies that I've ever really told her, which at that time in my life, I really needed to get away. It was time for me to fly the coop and she really wanted me to stay. And I graduated uh, from high school, top 10% of my class, and I'm a first-generation college graduate. My family didn't know really the how to make the transition for me to go to college. And I said that UT Austin was the only college that accepted me. And I wasn't accepted anywhere else. And mind you, I did pay my own way. So this wasn't a financial burden on my family, but I needed to go. And I left. And that was probably a huge pivotal moment. So I went from this little pond of an all-girls Catholic high school to all of a sudden 50,000 students at UT. And it was awesome. I loved UT. I had a great time in college. Barely passed, but I got through it. (laughs) Um, And then I just, I kept growing. I found my passion for teaching there and fell in love with it. I really felt that was the right place to be. And I would not have found that without uh, two things. One, my mom, who gave me permission to look outside of making money Mm -hmm. and to really find something that I was good at. And then secondly was an offsite internship I had to do at the School for the Blind and Visually Impaired. And the two together and the young boy that I was working with at the school paved my way for the next 14 years. And then there was lots of movement. And I think years later, about eight years after teaching, six six to eight years, I decided that I wanted to go in and get my master's and then my PhD in education. And I think for me, that was also a big pivotal point. I think I realized that I could do something even more. For me, it was helping my classroom. Then it was even more if I could help the school then it was even more I could help a district. And so I really wanted to expand that. So I think that's really, and then from there, I became an entrepreneur. And then that was crazy. I mean, our journey has been fascinating at our companies. I've worked with the largest brands in the United States. We've been truly blessed in so many ways. And I think all of those things made me me. <laughs> I love that. And, you know, this whole thing is like building an influential personal brand. And I think the best way you can build influence is you just get to know someone. That's the best way to have influence. It's if I don't know you, you have very little influence over my decisions day to day. But if I know you and I I like you and I trust you, you have great influence over my daily decisions and behaviors. I love that. And I think we all need to be a little bit more focused on how did you become who you are, not tell me about how you did all these things you did, right? (laughs) There's still a huge part of teaching in you, right? And for those of you listening, um, you know that about a year ago, we talk about this all the time. We launched our, you know, national research study, the trends in personal branding. You know, it's Denise's company, her and her husband's company that uh, fielded this research for us. And it's like today, it's like you run a team of researchers, right? It's like, there's still that education component that has stayed with you even through your entrepreneurial journey. It's like you are a research firm, right? It's like you're doing research for books and you're doing research for these huge brands, but there's a 
seriously academic part of what you do that has made you so successful. Completely. And thank you. I appreciate that. Teaching is embedded in me. I love it. Sometimes I come off just as a teacher. My husband always gets mad at me. He's like, don't use your teacher voice on me. And I don't mean to. I love getting educated. And so kind of my love language is to serve others in that same way. So I really enjoy being part of those educational moments with our team and training, our talent development programs that we do, even like our talent acquisition and just teaching about the jobs. It's fascinating. And I get so much inspiration by seeing somebody's face just light up. I mean, I remember when I was younger, I started teaching when I was 22. And I remember thinking how that would never go away for me. And, you know, now I'm 50 and it still has never gone away for me. It's almost amazing. Coupled with, and I will share this, coupled with now many of the students who I was in education, like I said, for 14 years, just about. So thousands of students that I've interacted with. And I get every once in a while, somebody who pops up, who comes up to me and says, are you Miss Mia? And I say yes. And and they say something that just, you know, makes me smile. Like, I remember when you said this joke and I've always kept it with me or I've had a couple of people say I became a science teacher because of you. Those moments in time, you just, they're true blessings. Me, they know I'm not Miss Via, I'm Dr. Via. <laughs> <laughs> that's who I am. I love that. I think that's so awesome. And I know I've just got one last thing I want to bring up. And I know that we're rounding out our time together, but you recently went on a pretty big research endeavor with writing your first book. At Z Economy is all around, you know, Gen Z. And the rise of this new generation, right? Finally, the heat is off us millennials, new emerging generation. And a huge part of that is you did that in partnership with your business partner and your husband, which I'm sure was no easy feat, but you guys did massive amounts of research to put out this book. And so um, just give us a high level of why do it on Gen Z? And like, if there was like one thing that you learned through this process of, doing research for your own project, right? Not for other companies, the process of writing this book of, you know, getting all of your thoughts and research on paper or just on Gen Z. Like if there was one thing that you're like, man, through this entire journey of the research, the writing, the topic, doing it with my husband, like this is the one thing that I would share with someone who is interested in knowing a part of my journey. This would be it. What would you say? Okay, those are good questions. So why Gen Z? So our company is really founded on separating generational myth from truth. So that's the core. And it was founded because we were finding out that CEOs were using data and the data wasn't matching what they were saying. Mm. So that's kind of how our company really started is, well, if they're taking this data and it's not matching what they're saying, there's teaching element missing. They're not understanding the data for some reason or another, or the data is not being read in a way that shows the information correctly. Mm -hmm. So let's just make our own research company that one shares the data correctly and shares a story that goes with it. So Gen Z is kind of that new generation. There were so many myths that came up with millennials and you guys did get a lot of hate. 
Not by us, but a lot of of it. And so, of course, when Gen Z started coming up, that was a great way to bring out what we were seeing with this generation. And we have been following them for probably a good seven years now. And what I love about this generation from the very beginning was really their money sense, which was huge. Never saw it in any other generation except the baby boomers. And so that has been a huge part of them and their hard work and diligence, which once again was being portrayed in their earlier lives. And I think we're seeing it again still into adulthood. So those are two of my favorite aspects about Gen Z. I'd say the learning part of writing a book with your spouse. So this was two years of a labor of love. And I will say labor of love. It was a long time. And not only was it a long time, our writing styles are completely different. I have come up through an academic work, body of literature, writing as you're being published for different peer reviews. It's a very different writing style than my husband, who is a published author multiple times over, uh, but has a very different voice. And merging those two together, oh my goodness gracious, that was probably the hardest thing that we did. But at the end of the day, it worked. It took a lot of giving on my part and a lot of giving on his part. And there was many things if you get the book and you'll notice, oh, Denise definitely wrote this because I channel data a little bit differently. But what my husband does so well is he makes the everyday user read it and understand it instantly. And so we just, we really had to practice merging those two voices. And, um, and so on top of doing the research, which took about a year to do, then putting that together and merging the two voices, it was definitely almost as hard as having a child. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of like birthing a child of sorts. And I love the stories of anyone who has ever gone through the process of writing a book, you know, back like what we said, it's like, nothing happens overnight. Uh, Neither does writing a book, y'all. It's like, we have so many people who enter into very fortunate community. We've been able to help curate at Brain Builders Group of going, all right, my goal is the next 12 months is to write a book, get it published. And I'm like, we're going to need to adjust those goals. (laughs) 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 It's like, do you already have the book? Uh, Because that's about the only way we're going to have this done in the next 12 months. But one of the things that I love about this is, you know, Rory and I, our next book is going to be together. And so part of this is like, as you know, and many of you who listen to the podcast, we're quite different by the way we communicate, talk, uh, see things. I'm very black and white. Everything is black or white to me. And Rory is very gray, right? He's like, well, mm-hmm. there's the best part of this and the worst part of it. And I'm like, nope, she's this or this. <laughs> so it's like, I think there's a, a beautiful blending of how do you take the best parts of each person's perspective and mold them into something that's going to appeal to an even larger audience. And I love the way that you guys have been able to do that. And, you know, we talk about research all the time. It is a constant theme ever since we did the research report on the national study for the trends in personal branding. I'm just such an advocate of like, that was what we said. We're doing this to put our flag in the ground that we are the first company doing what we're doing and the way that we're doing it. And we're going to do this study on personal branding because we believe it's the future. We believe right. it's the future of marketing, but it's like to have data like that really sets you apart in thought leadership. And it's like, you come from a really academic background. And for people who don't come from that, it's like, yeah, it's like, 
incorporating real data points really do attract a different type of clientele and audience that's really powerful. Completely. And you have that backup to show you, nope, this is what it said. And it's statistically valid. And we've done confidence intervals and and you can play up all the words and it's valuable. And it also aligns with what you're doing. It makes you feel like I'm doing this right. Or (laughs) I didn't know this. I actually have to change this because I've been saying this and look, the population doesn't agree with that. And so I think it's very helpful to give people some kind of one peace of mind and then two different strategies that maybe they just weren't aware. And we all have our, you know, for lack of a better word, you know, box that we live in. And sometimes it becomes an echo chamber. Hmm. So to look outside of that makes us grow. I mean, at the end of the day, that's what it does. Yeah. You said something that just made me think about this is, you know, as you are, it's like, I think feedback is one of the gifts that I didn't always want that I always need. And it's like, I love getting feedback um, and input. And to me, doing research was like another way of getting feedback. It was, I can't see what I can't see. And sometimes I'm just, you know, the old saying, I'm too close to the forest to see the trees. I need to get out of my own echo chamber, right? Mm -hmm. And I need to get a larger perspective, a larger scale of how does the population at large view this? And then how do I take those data points to validate or unvalidate? Like one of the things I loved about doing research is, the amount of things that were like, oh, we had that really wrong. Like, <laughs> that was like really yeah. good to go. You know, I think one of the big data points that came up to me, which I thought was so interesting to hear yours about Gen Z, was like mine about personal branding was that testimonials. 62% of Americans say that testimonials is the number one most important factor when deciding whom to hire. Not mm-hmm. if you have a book or a viral TED Talk or a large social media following none of those things. It was like at the very, very top of the list. And then 10 percentage points down was the next one. But 62% were, do you have testimonials of other people validating that you are who you say you are and you do what you say you're going to do? And for us and the way that companies and people spend marketing dollars, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is the cheapest, fastest, easiest thing that you can do. It's like you take that or it's like get on national media, create a viral TED talk, get a New York Times bestselling book. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, like we've been putting all of our time, energy, resources into potentially the wrong avenue. It's not that we shouldn't do the other things, but it's like, where should the majority of our intent go? It was so, so helpful. And if you're a Gen Zer, you're going to look at least 10 of them before you make a decision. I mean, you know, so there is some, even the way the different generations look at reviews, who you're trying to hit will give you some idea of what do these need to look like or how many should I have up there, et cetera, which I think is really helpful when you're looking at your own personal brand or your company or anything, really. People search those, number one thing. You know, I will say that we had so much fun working on your report. I love working with friends because it gets me even closer into the mindset of what you do and what you and Rory do. And it was really neat working on that project. <laughs> I agreed. I think you guys are brilliant on so many things. I love this. I could continue this conversation on and on and on. And I know that uh, we are way past our time that I love talking to you. What I've loved most about this conversation is truly learning how you became who you are. That is going to be my new question. So I'm transitioning out of how do you filter <laughs> hours during the week? But, um, how did you become who you are? Uh, and for everyone listening, it's like, If you don't get anything other than the importance of helping 
people get to know you, not what you do. That is my big takeaway from this conversation. That's the heart of creating authentic leadership and being an entrepreneur that people actually want to follow. Denise, thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, thank you, AJ. It was a pleasure. And thank you for having me. I oh. really appreciate it. And talking me into doing it. <laughs> oh my gosh, this was so awesome. I love it. And for everyone listening, uh, make sure you stay tuned for the recap episode. And we'll catch you next time on the Influential Personal Brand. See y'all. That's all we've got for this episode of the Influential Personal Brand Podcast. But here's some great news. One of the most valuable things you can do to help us and other new potential listeners to find our show is for you to both rate this show and leave a review. So as a special bonus for you, if you leave us a comment in iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen, take a screenshot of your review and email it to podcast at brandbuildersgroup.com. We will give you free 30-day access to 25 of our most popular interviews on video in your own private members-only area. So go right now, rate us, review us, and then send a screenshot of it into podcast at brandbuildersgroup.com. And we'll get you set up with free access to our most popular video interviews all in one place. Also, just please share, share, share this podcast with anyone who you think might enjoy it. And until next time, remember that building a business isn't nearly as valuable as building a reputation.